All right. This is Brent Leary, and I have the extreme pleasure to have Barbara Corcoran with me today. Now, typically, you have to list uh, a whole you, – you kind of let people know who this person is, but Barbara – I'm pretty sure people know that you're a keynote speaker, you're a best-selling author, and uh, you're on a show, you co-star on a show called Shark Tank. Yes, yes, that's that's what's made me most popular, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's probably true, but thank you for taking the time. We're and really going to talk a little bit about, I guess, something that's really uh, right at your your heart there, it's small business and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you've been doing Shark Tank, but even before you were doing Shark Tank, you've been an entrepreneur for years, um, but... Uh, I'm just kind of curious, when it comes to Shark Tank and all the different contestants that you get a chance to, to sit in front and have them pitch to you and your, your co-stars there, what does that tell you about the state of entrepreneurship today? Well, I think it uh, shows me every day I sit on that set that everyone has a dream. Not just the people pitching on Shark Tank, but the cab driver that took me over to the set, <laughs> the uh, waitress who's pitching me on her new idea. I mean, it's it's been a release of a flood of people ushering in, in their great business idea. Now, many of the business ideas to, on first blush to me sound like they're pretty stupid and they're not going to go anywhere, but who am I to say? You know, um, Certainly, I failed at my first business, the Flower of the Week Club. I thought it was the coolest thing, you know, the greatest thing, and I went flat on my face after a year and a half, and then I succeeded at my second business. And so, you know what I've learned more than anything? To just tell people their dream is great. Yeah, 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 try it. You don't want to die thinking you wish you should have, could have. And uh, if you have the right entrepreneur, Sometimes the first business ain't the right one, but if you have the right entrepreneur, they're going to stumble across something that's going to make them very happy. Let's talk a little bit about the the whole idea of creation. You know, you, you mentioned that there are a lot of ideas that get brought to your attention through the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it harder to get ideas to market today than it was years ago, even though technology seems to make it easier and and kind of you know, the whole process is a much more mature set of, of uh, idea processes to get them created and, and shot through, but it's a lot harder in terms of getting people's attention today. So is it easier today or harder well said. to do that? Uh, well, I would, agree. I would certainly agree with you, Brett, a little bit of both. I mean, I could, on the easier column, I would put uh, crowdfunding a boom to small business. If you could pitch well and convince regular people that you're onto something, almost everybody will give you 10 bucks to 100 bucks and invest in you. You never had that before. I think on the easy column, it's a more level playing field. You can be found online. So the big guys might corner uh, the uh, best URLs and drive more traffic to them. But if you're really scrappy, could write a good blog, get people to like you, get creative, uh, you have a level playing field. It's called the Internet, all right? It's great. And then also, it's getting a little bit easier to fund small businesses. I'm not talking about the fancy kind from angel investors, but other than crowdfunding, uh, you could also um, deal more easily today with the biggest issue facing all, all young businesses, which is cash flow problems. And there are a number of uh, new lenders online that work very effectively because they get rid of the red tape and actually get the money in your hand, like Funbox. I know it came out recently. There was, there was one before them. Their name is escaping me, which means they didn't have a good name. Uh, but you can actually fund uh, you know, your outstanding invoices, which might not seem like a big deal, but when you've used your credit cards to fund your business and you have invoices and you 
can't convert them to cash, that becomes a big deal pretty well, pretty quickly. Yeah. So on the negative side, there's so much clutter and so much cry to get everybody's eyeball and attention and ear constantly, constantly. The people are overwhelmed. It's harder to like hook them, hook them to listen to you. Uh, and that becomes a bigger issue, uh, but not just for the little businessmen. For the big business, too, they're struggling with the same thing. So it's it's more good news than bad, I would say, in the final tally. Very cool. Though. What are the things you guys focus on, or, you know, the numbers? The, the people are coming up, and you guys want to know the numbers. But how do entrepreneurs quantify kind of the intangibles as well as the tangibles? What are, what are the intangibles that count? And how do you qualify? How does that help you to understand whether this well, is Well, I'm not a number person, okay? I've never read a financial statement. I ran a huge thousand-man employee business, and I never read a financial statement. But I had hired myself a minority partner who was a whiz at that kind of stuff. And so um, I believe you don't have to know a damn thing about math and numbers to be hugely successful in a business. And sometimes that kind of left-brain analysis stuff can get in your way because you don't do things on a leap and a prayer and an intuition and a trust of your gut very often. You have to analyze it and justify it. So uh, to my point, now what is my point? I think I kind of lost track of it somewhere in all that wordage. But I think um, with me, I don't think, I know with me always, I don't pay much attention to that. It's great to hear somebody has sales, but I'm more of a believer in the potential for sales. And the potential for sales is trying to use your your God-given common sense judgment to figure out whether enough people out there might buy the thing. (laughs) And if enough people might buy it and you can get a price at a decent price where people will buy it, uh, you don't have to have anything Uh, that creative or that amazing or the greatest thing that nobody's heard of before, you can create a nice business for yourself, all right? And so I pay attention above everything else to my trust of the entrepreneur. Are they the type of people, do they have the traits that it's going to take to hit the finish line and have a success on their hands, or are they not wired to be an entrepreneur? And so I uh, pay attention to the entrepreneur, 90% of it, and then the 10% is the business piece. What about their uh, their approach to customer service or customer experience? What role does that play in, in your decision? You know, that's hard to size up on a show like Shark Tank because you don't have the customers um, to uh, query. Yeah. Uh, what you're listening to is the entrepreneur themselves who are always telling you things are the greatest, right? So <laughs> they're in love with them, their own business. So love is blind. You can't tell that. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that usually turns out later in due diligence, you know. But customer service is key because the customer service delivers one thing to you more than anything else, repeat business. So I've invested in a business called Daisy Cakes. If people really love her cakes and they arrive on time and the tin is perfect and the doily just is so and her note is enclosed and it's the most delicious cake they've ever tasted, check, 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 five items, someone will order another cake from her. If any of those items are off, they go, mm, I'm not so sure, right? Especially if the cake doesn't taste terrific. So you have to focus on quality service if you intend to be in business because people won't reorder. People are savvy. There's so many options for people that they won't come back if they're not totally happy. Absolutely. So you mentioned Daisy Cakes. Uh, what is your most successful company that you invested in and why was that considered, at least by you, a success? 
Well, it's two ways to quantify success, I believe. One is sheer dollars returned, and the answer to that would be Grace and Lace that makes lacy socks and shawls and ladies' clothing. Very sexy, great designer, uh, but that's not why. I mean, she's got a great product. It sells like hotcakes, and they sold over a million dollars worth of product the night they aired on Shark Tank. I shouldn't say the night they aired, within the three days when they could catch up with the orders. Um, so that's the most successful in, in terms of returning money to me, and I've gotten a, a 20 to $1 return in two years flat. That's pretty remarkable. But my idea of the most successful business are the ones, and there's quite a few in the contenders, are the ones that I think have the most expandability, that I could grow them the farthest, that I could make the biggest business of them. And what is interesting is on all the good ones, they all, all the entrepreneurs are the same. They all have the same qualities of uh, taking a hit and getting back up without feeling sorry for themselves. They're all street smart versus book smart. Uh, they're all very clever on their feet. They can think fast in a situational problem. Um, and they're all fiercely competitive. And even with my own entrepreneurs, they're competitive with one another, which is kind of weird. Like, I never declared them competitors, but they're competing with one another to see if they could be my best business. I don't mind it. It's to my advantage. But all those traits uh, are common to all the best businesses. So if you were starting out today, what kind of business or what industry or what focus would you want to go into? Oh, I know exactly what I would do. I love the marketing softer side, the sales side. That's my ballywick. I'm a great conceptual thinker. I can see, I don't want to say see the big picture. It sounds like braggadoso. I'm not sure I ever see the big picture, or even the train coming to run me down sometimes because I'm too busy running in the other direction. But I can visualize very well and see what would work. So I would definitely be in the advertising, uh, technology promotion, um, public relations business, the softer side of selling, for sure, because that's really uh, where I feel totally capable and, and competent. Okay, so if you were to look out over the next uh, four to five years or so, what kinds of business opportunities do you think uh, entrepreneurs, maybe first-time entrepreneurs, should focus in on? I don't think there's an answer to that because entrepreneurs has an S on it, which means it's a lot of different people. I think the heart and soul of a business that will succeed is on when you have an entrepreneur who has a product or service they're really excited about. And generally when someone's excited about a service or a product, it means they do it well. You don't get excited about things that you just don't do well at, right? So if you have something you're really excited about, that would be the best thing to do. Okay, so a lot of my entrepreneurs who are successful uh, started their business. A case in point was uh, the Cousins Maine Lobster. They started selling lobster rolls off a food truck in L.A., even though they're both from Maine, because they simply missed the delicious, fresh lobster meat from Maine that you couldn't get in California. So they started selling authentic Maine lobster rolls off a truck, all right? They were just doing it to pick up a few extra bucks. Um, one partner of mine there, Sabin, was a very successful real estate estate broker. His partner, Jim, and my partner were, was a uh, very successful salesman of pharmaceuticals, making a ton of money, loving their jobs. But they did it because it was a hobby. And you know, lo and behold, within one weekend, they were making more money they both made in a week. Right? And boy, was that a wake-up call. So now they're doing exactly, they always loved lobster more than they liked real estate or pharmaceuticals. And so no surprise they're doing so well. Uh, because they're doing exactly what they most love, and they've got the phenomenal work ethic and all the other attributes that are typical of great entrepreneurs that they bring to the fore. 
wow, that's a great story, a number of stories. Um, real quick, uh, what is more irritating to you? This is a, a question specifically around the show. Uh, missing out on a contestant that you really feel confident about, uh, that they're going to be successful, or picking somebody and then they don't, they don't really turn out the way you thought it would? Hey, when I don't get an entrepreneur I'm really excited about, it's, go, it's like, ouch, I hustle, I couldn't get them, and I can't stand the facts. I'm very competitive, fiercely competitive. It's more I'm upset that somebody else got them. Not that I didn't get them, but somebody else got them. That's my ridiculous competitiveness, all right? But once they leave that set, I don't remember them, I don't think about them, and I genuinely hope they do very well with their new partner. Too bad it wasn't me. But on the other side of the equation, when I pick up an entrepreneur and work like crazy, and they're not a good entrepreneur and they don't have the work ethic or the stamina or the spirit or the drive or all the things it takes, and they're using my time for that, that hurts a lot. It's like, forget about it. I have a wall in my office where I have every single one of my entrepreneurs I invest in in a beautiful frame, a great colored picture of them. And the minute I see that they're not matching my intensity and desire to succeed, I flip that photo over and I don't spend any more time thinking about them because they're not going to make it. You need that kind of passion and push to really make it. And so I really don't want my money. It's bad enough my money is going to go down the drain soon enough. But I don't want my time to go down the drain after that point. Yeah, I guess it would also be disappointing if you're, you, you have an opportunity to work with people like you that has a lot of wealth of experience and they don't appear to be taken. I guess that really is irritating. Oh, it's really, and you know what else is irritating in business? Only to give my wonderful sponsor a plug, and it's truth, and anybody will relate to it. A copy machine that doesn't work. My God, I was at my friend's house uh, probably maybe two weeks ago. I had to get something out. She had two copy machines that didn't work. What did I do? I ran to my office. It was, what, 18 bucks away. I didn't run. I took a cab. I had to go to my office, and what's my good old thing that worked? My nice little neat little square Maxify. It, it banged right. I didn't have to wait for it to warm up, and I was back at her table eating dinner without missing a beat. That makes me crazy. Machinery or technology that doesn't work it drives me nuts. Yeah, maybe you could talk even a little bit more about you know, your partnership with, with Canon and, and you know the tools and why a tool like their printer is something that a small business or a startup entrepreneur should put in their tool chest. Well, can I tell you, it's it's not uh, it's not a it's not like um, <laughs> how do I say it? Here's what happens. I'm a very very neat person. My office is like a file cabinet. Everything's in perfect shape. Everything's color coded. Everything's labeled. So I like everything very neat and organized. And I know this sounds like a ridiculous thing, but why does a typical copy machine have to be longer uh, than it is wider? It takes up too much space, and that's how I feel. They're large. The tray sticks out another eight inches or sometimes 11 inches on the side, and they're ugly to look at. So I like my little Maxify, and why? When, I, when they wanted me to partner up with them, I said, send me the machine. Let us live with it a while. And I put it in competition to probably the best-selling machine on the market, and I watched what my office staff and I used. And guess why Maxify won over the other machine. We got rid of the other machine and got a second Maxify because it doesn't take any time to warm up and I could get two Maxifies side by side in the same space that I could get my one old clunker with the side wing that looked like a like the barbecue machine that was too big and you should have never bought it in the first place. Ever do that machine? Like it takes up your whole deck, right? That kind of a thing. So I like the neatness of it, okay? And also... 
I'm a little on the cheap side. Um, you know, I, I don't like wasting money. Even though I have a large, successful business now and invest in a lot of places, I can't stand losing money I don't have to lose. And I find the nickel and dime stuff I can focus on. I become a little ridiculous about it. So I always have figured out the cheapest way to do anything more than once. And I found when I did the numbers before I signed up with, with that Maxify machine, Maxify printer, I'm sorry, I did the numbers and what I found out was that it's cheaper per page than all my other machines. And that appeals to me because I'm a cheapskate at heart and I don't have to look like a cheapskate because it looks fancy. But I know I'm saving per copy on a high quality copy. And I don't, it's probably got other stuff. It's probably got a lot of fancy things. I know we don't change those ink tanks very often, which is probably another savings. I don't really know. But uh, it just appeals to who I am. That's it. And we have a big business, but I treat everything as though it's a small business. Oh, hey, that's cool stuff. And where can people go online to, to learn more about uh, you know, the, the printer and even uh, some of the things you're doing? Well, actually, you can certainly get all the stats on the Canon Maxify by going on the Canon website. That's a snap or anywhere you buy any kind of equipment. It's sold everywhere. But if you also want to learn more about our UN Entrepreneur, I'm very happy to report that if you go on my website, barbaracorcoran.com, I have worked on this for a year and a half, and I have 10 simple questions that will take you less than, less than five minutes to take. It will score it right then. It's totally confidential. I don't even know you're on the site. You've ever even done it. And it will give you a score of 1 to 10 as to whether you should be an entrepreneur or not. And I suggest for anybody thinking about being an entrepreneur or thinking they might not make a good entrepreneur, it's a smart thing to do. I'm sure it works. I've tested it again and again. It's an easy way to find out if you have those God-given talents because I've certainly been in an odd position sitting in that chair and then getting the opportunity to work with so many winners and so many losers and start to divide the pile. Oh, this is cool. And I, I just uh, one last quick question. Uh, yes. It literally just came to me from a, a friend on Facebook. And it, it, it talks about uh, she's heard that uh, you know, men versus women is harder for women to get funding for businesses than it is men. Is, it is true. Do you true. have a perspective on that at all? or? Yeah, you know, there was a, a very well-known Harvard study that was done roughly a year, 18 months ago, that they actually, and I hope I'm representing it properly, but it unequivocally proved that men get funding from angel investors three to one over women because what they did is they had very sharp women go in and make the pitch. They had very sharp men go in and do the exact same pitch, and Two out of three of the funders went to the men. One in three went to the women. All right, you can't argue with that. All right, wow. they even tested it beyond that and had female voices on a video pitch, the exact same video pitch, a male voice versus a woman's voice, equally credible voices. The men got the funding two to one. It's definitely true, without a doubt. Wow, what a way to end this uh, great conversation. How depressing. Let's just go <laughs> out drinking now. <laughs> well, let's end on a high note, dude. What, what last piece of advice would you give folks who, uh, who are really serious, who do have a great idea, who do have the passion, but maybe need a little piece of nugget of information to get them going to success? What would you tell them? I, I think it's very important to ask yourself, how about when you're 60 or 50 and you haven't done it, and you've been carrying this idea in your heart and your head for a while, and you haven't done it? How are you going to feel about that? You know, I've met so many entrepreneurs that have won, have lost, won again, lost again on different businesses. And I tell you, I've never met anyone who regretted trying anything. 
even losing the house. They didn't regret that they tried it. But boy, have I met enough moany gronies who say, I wonder what would have happened. I wonder if I could have gotten rich. I wonder if. What a waste of a way to spend your life. I think you got to try it, and the sooner you try it, the better before you have kids, the mortgage, and life sits on your chest.